accompaniment. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans chapter 1. A bit later, we'll be reading a verse or two from there. We live in a world where it's very difficult to get uh, anyone to, to agree with one another. We live in a democratic society, of course, and, uh, and technically I realize it is a republic that we live in, but it's through democracy that we make our decisions, and as everybody can tell, boy, our country is so divided. Um, so it's very seldom that I'm ever able to say something that everyone agrees with. But I think I can. Whether you are a Republican, a Democrat, a liberal, a conservative, a Baptist, or a Catholic, or whoever you are, I think we all have to agree on this one statement, and that is something is wrong. Something is wrong. I don't know how anyone could disagree with that. that probably you'll find someone that would, but I, I really doubt it because we all know that things could and, and should be better than they are, and that's why, you know, throughout history, people have uh, wondered what in the world is wrong with the world? There are people that have spent their entire lives trying to figure, figure out the mystery of this mess and, and trying to get to the root of the problem, and they... They want to eliminate the problem. They'd like to create a utopia here on earth, but things just keep getting worse instead of better. But still, there are those who firmly believe that, you know, through education and science and so forth, that given enough time that man has the ability to cure all of the ills of the world, you know, that eventually, that in their mind, we will evolve in our intelligence and our ability that someday, while well, we will we'll create that utopia. Uh, problem is, they're wrong. So what in the world is wrong with the world? I mean, where did we go wrong? What caused this calamity? I have no doubt in my mind that that I can and will answer that question this morning. So I'm going to tell you, let the Bible tell you what is wrong with this world. Every defect, every disease, every difficulty, every disaster, every disappointment, every discouragement, all dread and death itself is all the result of one event, one thing that happened long ago in the Garden of Eden. Sin entered into the world, and we refer to that event as the fall. And ever since that day, man's character has been depraved. His heart is deceitful. His mind is deluded. His, his spirit is dead, separated from God, and his soul is damned. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, 
as it explains this dilemma, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And what he's telling us there is that what happened affects what is happening. What happened affects what is happening. So we need to consider what happened. But notice what's happening here in Romans chapter 1. I wish I had time to read the entire chapter, but I'll begin in verse 28. He's speaking about people who have rejected God, and that certainly describes the world. People that have denied the Lord and gone on a downhill course to the point that God said, I'll just, I'll just turn them over to a reprobate mind and do the things that are not convenient, not becoming of mankind. And he explains in verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. But he says, Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, and uh, that means relentless. They're not going to give up their pursuit. Unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now that's what is happening in the world that we live in today. Last week I said one of our biggest problems is not seeing our problem. In other words, we fail to recognize what has ruined us. And so it's amazingly easy for us to deceive ourselves and to be deceived. And that's never more true than when it comes to the subject of pride, which was just mentioned in the verses I read there. And, of course, we see that everywhere throughout history. Jonathan Edwards, the man who was uh, given the credit for bringing about the Great Awakening in America said that pride is the most hidden secret and deceitful of all sins. And I think he was right. You know, although we all have problems with pride, we don't always recognize it. And so today, I want, I want to try to give you a portrait of, of, of pride. I, I want you to try to get a definition, a description, and a demonstration of it the, the best that I know how. And the reason this is so important is because Satan is the master of deception. He tries to convince us that we don't have a problem with pride and we fail to see it because we don't recognize it. Benjamin Franklin said, there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Beat it down, stifle it, mortify it. That means put it to death. As much as one pleases, it is still alive. Even if I could convince that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. Wow. He told the truth. 
I think I've met some folks that were proud of their humility. You know, it's hard to recognize it because describing pride can be so very difficult, you know. I can give you the definition as it's found in the dictionary. I can give you numerous quotes. I could spend the next hour quoting one writer. I'm talking about brilliant men throughout history who have written about pride, and I could give you the quotes as they try their best to describe what it is, but n none of those quotes nor the dictionary can really capture the full meaning of pride. They're all, those things are helpful, but we need more than that. So it's no wonder we're confused about this matter of pride because we scratch our head and wonder how in the world can I even uh, define it, you know, and uh, people are confused about it. Some children, I mean, from childhood, they've been taught that uh, uh, that they ought to be proud of themselves, you know, and so they misunderstand and they apply that to everything in their life. And then they, you know, hear the preacher turn around and say that pride is a vice, it's not a virtue, and so they're confused. It's no wonder. So today I, I want to clear the air, and first of all, I, I want us to think about the negative side first of all. And here's some things that we need to consider uh, it, might, it might have to do with concern about our appearance, you know, and that's okay. That's not pride. It's not being, and I, you can be prideful over your appearance, but being concerned about your appearance is not the pride that's condemned in the Bible. It's not what we would call pride at all. You know, you might call it pride, but that doesn't make it pride. The fact is, we ought to be very much concerned about our appearance. You know, that's why we, you know, we bathe, we brush our teeth, we comb our hair, uh, sometimes shine our shoes, not as often as we ought to, uh, and so forth. That, that's why we try to look nice, because other people we know are going to judge us on the basis of our appearance. And being blameless requires that we put an emphasis upon ourselves. Satisfaction with a job well done is not pride. Now, you can be proud about what you've done, but that's not the same as taking satisfaction in a job well done because every job you tackle ought to be something that you want to uh, do your very best at. And, and, and having that satisfaction of a job well done, that's just fine. Rejoicing over honor that is properly given isn't pride. Speaking about the blessings of God upon your life is not pride. You know, sometimes in a, in a testimony, someone will be talking about, well, God, you know, did this for me and that for me. And others sometimes misinterpret that and think they're just bragging about themselves when in reality, they're just sharing with you what God has done for them. That's not pride. And, and so describing that is not prideful or even describing how God has used us isn't pride. Paul did that. You know, history can be helpful. And there were times when it was necessary, it was helpful to others for Paul to share with them what God had done in his life and how he had used it. He wasn't bragging about it. He was bragging on God for allowing him to have a part in it. So, you know, that's the negative side. So what is pride? How do we define pride? And I admit, and by the way, I've looked. 
I've spent more time than you can believe in trying to really reduce it all down to the most basic bones and to give you the perfect definition of pride, and I have yet to find one. You know, it's like the blind man trying to describe an elephant. One says, oh, he's got his tail, and he says, like a rope. The other one gets a hold of the trunk, and he says, oh, no, it's like, it's like a hose. Another one gets a hold of the leg, and he says, no, no, it's like a tree. Another one reaches up and pats it on the side and says, no, it's like a wall. But you see, they never really see the big picture at all. And they're all looking at the same thing from a different perspective. So when it comes to pride, remember this. Pride is multidimensional. Multidimensional. No one perspective can capture the big picture. I could give you a long, long list of things that, that pride does, but I can't reduce it all down to just this one short definition. But what I can do is to sum it all up by considering the most basic elements of pride. And so to do that, if I'm going to get right down to the twofold nature of pride, and that's what it is, there's two things about pride that I think defines it as best as we possibly can. So here's the best way I know to define it. Pride is the attitude of self-sufficiency in regards to God and superiority toward others. In other words, pride causes us to think that we don't need God. It causes us to think we're better than others. Now, I say that because I want you to notice how this relates to the two great commandments, which are, as you know, what? Number one, love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. That's the first of the great commandment. But, but that leads right into the second commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so pride is the violation of those two greatest commandments. Toward God, it's self-sufficiency. Toward others, it is an attitude of superiority, you see. So it is both iniquity and idolatry. So that is, that's what pride is all about in our lives. So let's think about those two aspects of the nature of pride, self-sufficiency regarding God you know we sometimes have problems in our generation that we didn't have in the last generation you know something will come along and it'll just pop up out of nowhere that something that we're dealing with that we never thought we'd have to deal with before well, let me tell you pride didn't just pop up recently in fact pride did not start just several centuries ago it has existed throughout man's history and so to understand this attitude of self-sufficiency regarding God, we have to go back to the very commencement of pride. And, uh, well, strangely enough, it didn't even start on earth. Amen. That's not where it started at all. Amen. We go back and we look and see in Ezekiel 28, we see that there is a conflict in heaven. Isaiah chapter 14 describes that conflict. The conflict had to do with Lucifer rebelling against God. We see his pride described there in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 17. We see his purpose declared in Isaiah chapter number 14. And I'll sum it all up for you. 
Because he says in this statement, he tells us everything that his rebellion is all about. He says, I will be like the Most High. And then we see his plan, his plan to to dethrone God and enthrone himself. He wanted God's power. His desire is to gain control. His desire is to rule over creation. But that brings us to his penalty. And the penalty for that was being cast out of heaven and confined to earth and its atmosphere. That's why your Bible calls Satan the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air. That is the atmosphere around us. He's cast out of heaven, but he does exist in the air around us in this earthly atmosphere and here on earth. So we see then that that led to a conflict in Eden. And to understand that, we have to go back to Genesis chapter number 3. All of you, hopefully, know the story. You know, sometimes I assume that. And uh, there are folks that, like me, back when I first started going to church, I was 24 years old when I got saved. I'd never been to church, didn't know anything about it, never read the Bible in my life. I knew nothing about it. And so we might have someone today that's here, and you've never heard this before. It's old hat to some of you, but it's nonetheless important just because you're familiar with it. And sometimes we allow our familiarity with a subject to kind of dull our senses, and we lose sight of how important that matter is. So there in Eden, there is a conflict as the devil, Lucifer, the fallen angel, begins to tempt Eve and then Adam. It's described in the first six verses of Genesis chapter number 3. The tempter tempting Eve and Adam. The plan was for a complete fall. And we see that because as we look at the temptation, we see the three avenues of temptation. He says, first of all, he tells them and convinces them that concerning the forbidden fruit, he said, it'll be good for food. It's good for food, you know. Well, that's the physical aspect. And then it says it's pleasant to the eyes. That's the emotional aspect of it. And then it says, desired to make one wise. That's the spiritual side of the issue. And when you look at those three avenues of temptation and compare them to 1 John chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, we see exactly the same thing, that the um, physical aspect, the emotional aspect, the spiritual aspect, the same three areas, by the way, in which Jesus was tempted there on the mount, recorded in Matthew chapter number 4. So notice here that the root of the problem, notice here he says that it's desired to make one wise. And as First John says, that is the pride of life. That is the pride of life. And here's what it's all about. Remember, Satan said, I want to be his God. And now he is trying to convince Eve to do what he had done, to be as God Desired to make one wise, that pride, and he persuaded her to do what he did. Now, she comes to believe she no longer needs God's directions. 
She no longer needs to be dependent upon God because she can become her own God. And that's, that's what's going on in her mind at that time. She's deceived about it, that I can become as a God. I, I won't need to be dependent upon anyone else. I'll be in control of my destiny. Well, we see that conflict in Eden leading then to the corruption of the world. We've been reaping the results of that rebellion ever since pride entered into the world. And we can attribute all of the confusion, all of the corruption, all of the conflicts to man's foolish pursuit, his selfish pursuit of what he desires and what he thinks he deserves. I, I deserve it. That, that, that's what I want. It's desired to make one wise. It's pleasant to the eyes. It's good for the uh, uh, for food. It, it's something that I, I desire. And so that becomes their pursuit. That's what pride is all about. It's that selfish desire to get what we want and what we think we deserve. Well, now let's look at the other side of pride. Not only is it self-sufficiency regarding God... But it's an attitude of superiority over other people. You see, the proud person is obsessed with self. It is a preoccupation with self. It's expressed in terms that we hear today all of the time. Self-love, self-esteem, self-confidence, self-expression, self-exaltation, self-promotion. And by the way, that's exactly that's exactly what we see in the last days described by Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Exactly that. Go home and read those first four verses of that chapter and you'll see that's exactly what we see. That's why, you know, we read earlier that man will be without any natural affection. And that, that's talking about the natural affection of a mother and her child. Uh, it's talking about a, a family loving one another. And we're living in a day where we have seen that all but disappear. It's you know, Everybody's out for themselves. Everybody, you know, has got number one. That's the only thing that they can think about. So they relate everything to self. You know, and if we're honest, I think all of us have to admit to some degree of guilt on our part. Those times that we're thinking only of ourselves and what we what we want, and what we think that we really deserve. That's why we get so confused about suffering, right? Because we have unrealistic expectations. You know, suffering, injustice, all of those things in our life that disappoint us is the result of us thinking, I deserve better than that. No, you don't. I don't. If we got what we deserve, we'd all be in a devil's hell for all of eternity. Several years ago, I was preaching on the subject of pride, and somewhere or another, I just happened to run across these, uh, this little test that I gave at the time, and so I thought it might be uh, interesting uh, for you this morning. Uh, it says this, and I stopped the sermon I was preaching and said, let me give you a little test. Does it irritate you when someone points out your faults? <laughs> yeah. Do you always have an excuse for your failures? Do you find it difficult to seek or accept counsel? Do you accept praise for things you didn't do? Do you have an ungrateful spirit? Do you have an overly competitive attitude? Do you rejoice over the successes of others? 
Do you get angry or bitter when things don't go your way? Well, if we had to answer yes to any of those questions, then, well, we've got somewhat of a problem with pride. And that's a problem. We might dis- dismiss it with a wave of the hand. Like, oh, it's no big issue. We're, we're just all humans. We all fail. But that doesn't justify our failure. That doesn't make, that doesn't make it any, any more acceptable to God because everybody else is doing it. Pride is pride, regardless. That's you know, it's like saying, "Well, I don't do it very often." Well, yeah, you might not commit adultery very often, but it's a horrible, terrible thing for you to do. Well, I don't get drunk but once a week. Well, that's way too many times. You see. So every act of pride is a serious violation of our relationship with God. That's why we sometimes refer to this generation as the me generation. Just give me, give me this, give me that. Because the chief pursuit of the natural man is to please himself. And he doesn't care who gets hurt in the process. There's never been, I don't think, so much arrogance, so much boasting, so much conceit, gloating, self-righteousness, self-ambition, stubbornness, and vainglory as we see today. And it's because of man's pride that we've made the we've made the world a madhouse to live in by the way that's the way it was in the days of noah remember jesus said his coming back will be as in the days of noah well, what was that like they did only evil every thought of their heart was only evil continually You know, it's one thing to occasionally think something bad, something harmful. Boy, the generation back in Noah's day had reached the point that's all they had on their mind. They didn't want, they had no thought of God. They blotted him out, as it were. And all they thought of was only evil continually. And that's what we're seeing today in regards to pride. It's me, me, me. It's all about me. I don't care about anyone else as long as I get what I want. Now, to get a little bit better understanding, I want you to consider five things about pride. The first thing is, is that pride is depraved. I love what someone said many years ago, if I'm not mistaken, it was probably an old Puritan writer. But he said, pride is not one sin among many, but a sin in a class by itself. Now here's the reason he made that statement, because other sins lead us further from God But this particular sin is so hideous that it attempts to elevate the sinner above God, just like Satan wanted. I want to be his God, just like he convinced Eve that she could become her own God. That's what pride is. It is depraved. That's why Spurgeon said it is the worst malformation of all of the monstrous things in creation. That's what I tried to tell you last week. Pride, when it comes to sin, that's as bad as it can get. And how many times we just dismiss it in our personal lives. 
Not only is it depraved, but it is defenseless. I say that because there's no grounds for, you know, for us to be proud. No reason for us to ever feel proud. We don't deserve anything. Everything we have comes as a gift from God. It's not earned. And even those things, you know, that we, we gain through personal effort, we're able to do that only because God enables us. And that being the case, I never have any reason to boast about, wow, look what I got because I'm better than you. I, you know, I, I, I worked harder than you. I put in more hours than you and so forth. Well, maybe you did, but that's no reason to boast because it's God that gave you every breath in your body, every bite of food. It's God that supplied your needs and gave you the strength to get what you've got. So we owe Him all of the praise. So it's defenseless for us to, to talk about anything that we deserve or anything that would make us feel superior over someone else. Not only is it defenseless, but it's dumb. I mean, it's foolish. It, it is. I say that because there's no profit in pride. There's no wisdom at all when it comes to self-exaltation. There's no sense in selfishness, none whatsoever, because the Bible teaches us that just the opposite is to be preferred. Rather than getting, it's about what? It's about giving. Not only that, but it's dangerous, and I say that because it pulls a curse down upon our head. And so many times we are so quick to blame God for our situation. And we feel like this is just unfair. Because I attend church, I, I tithe, I read my Bible, and I do this and I do that. And yet if we're really, really honest, whether it's the sin of pride or some other issue in our life, it's something that we brought upon ourselves. We don't like to admit that. We, we look for every scapegoat we can find. We try to blame everybody that we can. But the stark reality of it is we did it to ourselves. We're reaping what we sowed. The fifth thing about it is it's deceptive. That makes it so dangerous. It comes in many different forms. It can shift shapes. For example, it can take the form of self-exaltation, that is, self-promotion. And we, re we recognize that quickly, don't we? We see that in people, you know, that they are exalting themselves. On the other hand, it can take the form of a self demotion or self-degradation you know and, and and by that I mean the somebody that's always beating themselves up and it's out of their pride that they're always talking about you know their uh, their failures in life they're obsessed with it that's all they talk about why I mean just make it right with God and learn from the past and get on with living don't get hung up on the past and, and people that are so hung up on the past, that's all they want to do is talk about it to others. It's because of the pride in their heart, wanting others to think more highly of them. That's why I love what C.S. Lewis said about real, true humility. He said it's not, it's not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. 
you know, whether it's in the matter of self-exaltation or whether it's the matter of self-demotion, either extreme there, it's that constant thinking about ourselves that constitutes pride. There might be someone here this morning wondering why in the world are we talking so much about pride when there are so many important issues that need to be dealt with. And we all got a list. We think of the world we live in and here's this sin and that sin, this injustice, all of these things that are wrong. And, and maybe you're wondering, well, preacher, why aren't you dealing with those matters? Well, give me time. I'll get to those if I live long enough. But I'm dealing with pride because pride is the root of all of those other things that's troubling you. That's at the very root of it. That's how we got into this mess. Started there in the conflict in heaven when Lucifer rebelled. It continued here on earth. It expresses itself in two ways. Self-sufficiency toward God and being in our minds, superior to others. So the question is, then how in the world do we get out of a mess like this? It won't just go away, I can tell you that. And we can't wish it away. Well, I've tried to be really honest with myself, and I've examined, I even took that little test, and I've got to admit I've found pride in my life. You know, I, I, I just wish it wasn't that way. I'm, I'm going to try to do better. Let me tell you, the only, only remedy for pride is humility. But the problem with that is that humility being the only remedy for pride is something that we actually can't produce on our own. We don't have the power to do that, by the way. Pride's more than just this excessive opinion of ourselves. It is an attitude of disrespect for God. It's rebellion against God. And the only thing that can deliver us from that is what? Reconciliation with God, right? If I, if I have rebellion in my life against God, the only way I can get it right, the only way that I can gain the humility to defeat the pride is what to be reconciled with god well how in the world can that happen i'm glad you asked second corinthians chapter 5 tells us very clearly that we are reconciled through the lord jesus christ that word reconcile speaks about two opposing parties that have been brought together in a state of oneness that's what god wants to do with every sinner. He wants us to have a relationship with him where there's no division between us, you see. Make no mistake about it. The penalty for pride is certain. It's certain. God is going to judge pride. And it happens in one or two ways. Hell or Christ. Either he's, he's, going, he's going to pay the price of our rebellion or you'll pay the price in hell. In other words, it's either through loss or the cross, one of the two. And nobody will ever be saved until they get to that point that they admit their sinfulness, they acknowledge their unworthiness, and they ask God to be merciful and accept his forgiveness on the basis of what Jesus did for them. 
Aren't you glad, so very glad, that there is a way back to God? There is a way out of this mess. We can be delivered. For those of you here this morning that have never trusted Christ as your Savior, and you might attribute that to a number of things. You might say, well, it's because there's so many hypocrites in the church. I don't want to, I, I don't want to be a Christian. I, I, I despise those self-righteous Christians. Let me tell you, the only thing that keeps you from being saved is pride. That, that, that's the only thing because Christ has already paid the cost. He's paid the price. He's made salvation available. And pride prevents us from seeing our need of Christ. It, it causes us to deny God's Word, for one thing. Right? The Bible says, for all of sin comes short of the glory of God. And you know, some folks, you know, they think, well, no, no, I, I'm okay. That might be true of others. That not, they don't see their sinfulness, and that's all due to pride. Or it might be, you know, that pride causes them to trust their own abilities. Well, I'm okay, man. I've been baptized. I joined the church. I'm a charitable person. I do a lot of good in the community. Well, that might help the community, but it won't keep you out of hell. It's not going to save your soul. I used to say, you know, you can be baptized until every tadpole in the creek knows you by your first name, but that's not going to get you to heaven. We must be born again, as Jesus said. And the bottom line is that, that you set yourself up as your own God because of pride, and the, that's the worst mistake that you can make. And the best decision you can possibly make is to realize that I am indeed a sinner, and I'm going to trust not in my judgment, but, but I'm going to trust in that old, that old black book that Daddy used to read from. I'm going to trust in it. I'm going to believe that it's true, and I'm going to do as it says. And when you do, when you do, you'll put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, just as the Philippian jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And he said, it works for you or your household. It doesn't make any difference. And that's all it takes is believing simple childlike faith. And you can become a child of God, be reconciled to God, and enjoy the privileges of being a part of God's family. I hope you would do that this morning. We're going to, we invite you and encourage you to do that today. While we stand together as Tim and the musicians come and we sing this verse of invitation, if God's speaking to your heart, would you come? There might be some Christian here that you've been battling this demon of pride in your life and it, it, it keeps cropping up over and over again. I know you might be better than anybody else in here, but it's sure troubling you. The Holy Spirit is gripping your heart the Holy Spirit's not reminding you of the preacher's sinfulness, not reminding you of your neighbor's sinfulness, but he's reminding you of your sinfulness. And this morning, even as a child of God, you want to just maybe get on your knees and say, Dear God, forgive me for 
for letting pride get such a foothold in my life. Forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Father, bless us now as we sing and speak to hearts and change lives. May you be glorified in everything that's done this morning in Jesus' name. While we sing, you come. Thank you.